coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. I lived in uh, Pottstown and Goody Broad is a thread company and uh, I got thread from their dumpster. I actually got 1,500 yards of backing from their dumpster. <laughs> I still have it because, you know, you put backing on your reel, it's not like you have to change your backing. That was Jim Missouri with one of his money-saving tips for fly tying. The Gart Side Gurgler, money-saving fly tying tips, and dumpster diving today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. A real easy way to support this podcast is to click through our sponsors' websites and check out what they have going. We've got a bunch of great sponsors on this year with great products. You can do that anytime right now and, uh, and support this podcast and our sponsors in one easy click. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, one of North America's most renowned zones for fly fishing. From the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the alpine lakes in between, Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts all the information they need to plan their trip. Visit wetflyswing.com Teton right now to get a full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all the inspiration you need to get started on your next Eastern Idaho trip. That's wetflyswing.com slash Teton, T-E-T-O-N. Today's episode is sponsored by Stonefly Nets, who is putting quality before quantity with their handcrafted custom wood landing nets. When Ethan designs your net, it's his hope and goal to help you form lasting memories every time you're on the water. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Stonefly right now to get started. That's S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Stonefly online. Jim Mazura shares the story of how he created one of the largest fly tying channels on YouTube. We discover some tips on fishing Pennsylvania streams. We get uh, nine money-saving fly tying tips, including uh, including this one on dumpster diving, which is pretty good. And uh, we dig into his uh, fly tying and teaching channel and the difference between guiding and instructing. We get into some some details on what he has going, what he's done in the past, and just all around how he built uh, his little platform there. I've learned a lot from Jim over the years, so I'm excited to share this one with you. So without further ado, here we go. Jim Masura. How's it going, Jim? Good, good. Beautiful sunny morning here in Pennsylvania. I know you're on the uh, West Coast there. Yep, I am on the West Coast, but tomorrow on Saturday, I'm heading into Ohio, so I'll be right next door to you. Oh, only seven hour drive. <laughs> That's nothing, right? For you guys up in the Northeast, like seven hours is nothing, right? Well, I don't, I don't tend to drive that far. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. We, uh, well, we're going to dig into, you have a uh, flight tying channel on YouTube that is a good one. You know, you have a lot of beginner kind of episodes and videos and stuff there. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about that, get into some tips and some tricks and things like that, and maybe even uh, go a little deeper into the fly tying. But um, before we get there, I'm, I'm interested because you've got this channel. I want to hear how it started. But before we get into the channel, let, take us back to how you first got into fly fishing. All right. Uh, well, when I was a kid, I, uh, not to be too conceited, but I quickly learned all of the bait fishing. And when I was around 12 years old, I started bugging my dad and other people. I want to learn fly fishing. I want to learn fly fishing. Well, 
I wasn't successful until I, I got to be about 17. And uh, a friend of mine sold me his grandfather's old fly rod, rod reel, and it had line, but it didn't have any leader. So what I did was uh, I got it and I ran home and I got my spinning rod and I took about 10 feet of line off the spinning rod and made a granny knot to the end of my fly line. And I didn't have any flies. So what I did was I dug in the toy box and I found a little rubber cricket. It was about an inch long rubber cricket. And I stuck a number six bait holder hook through there. <laughs> and then I ran back down to the river, which is two blocks from where I lived. And uh, I caught six fish on, on that floating rubber cricket. And I was hooked. That was the end of my spinning rod. Nice. That was it. Yeah, that was great. But then... Uh, I found a regular bait shop and I, I started buying some flies off of them. And at the time they were like 50 cents a fly and I would be spending, you know, $6 a day on flies because these things were totally junk. Catch one fish. Maybe if I landed it because the hooks would break, stuff like that, I decided I got to learn how to tie flies, you know? Yep. Then from there, it was just, uh, so magical seeing a fish come up to take your fly and or you know fishing a streamer and feeling that hard tug stuff like that so where did it take from that kid there into like take us into the youtube channel when does the youtube channel come to be well it started in 2010 i started making videos and the big reason i waited so long was uh i didn't have a proper camera to start making the videos with. And my first few videos were fishing videos. My friend and I, we were putting videos up. And it was funny because the first, it took me a, a whole year to get any amount of uh, views on there. And I would call them up and say, hey, I got 20 views. <laughs> or, you know, it took me a whole year till I started getting any amount of, of hits or subscribers and stuff like that. But I just tried to put out uh, good content, you know, like why I'm fishing. I tried to educate people on the, what I'm doing and stuff like that, rather than just, hey, watch me catch this big fish or something like that. Yeah. So where did that come from? Why not just go fishing? You know, why did you actually start a YouTube channel? Because it seems like that's just extra work that, you know, you could actually be out fishing instead, right? Well, I don't know. It's more, I, I like teaching uh, people how to fish and I, I'm pretty good at teaching people how to fish. So that's where it came to like be an educational YouTube video, but just YouTube itself, my friend and I, we were just watching different videos and stuff like that. And they said, Hey, we could do this. Why not? Yeah, that's it. How did it feel when you first, um, started to get some traction where you were actually getting a lot of views. Did you like take us there? What was that like? That felt pretty good. It like my effort was being rewarded and uh, it felt good to be able to help people. I've seen the results firsthand of helping, especially young people. And they would make YouTube videos or they would, uh, I met one young guy. He was only like 12 when he started and he's a, uh, he watched my videos and he learned, he said, told me he learned from me and from Dave McPhail how to tie flies. And I went to, I don't know if you ever heard of the Salbug Roundup. Yeah. That's in Arkansas. And I went there and I met him in person and his dad told me 
between me and Dave, we taught him how to tie. But at the Salbug Roundup, they actually have a, like a competition where, you know, you can submit your flies for a competition. And he submitted all his flies. And the nice thing was there was two underage or kids division. And they gave those two awards for the two kids. They gave them to a kid that was like 17 years old. And then there was a dozen for the adult division. And this 12-year-old won 10 of the 12 adult division one. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's a great reward knowing that, you know, I was a big influence on him and then seeing him do that. Right. Gosh. Yeah, that is a huge reward, seeing your prodigy. I mean, somebody you didn't even really know at the time, right? Somebody probably been watching you for years. Right. And uh, he ties at the shows even. His name is Trad Little. And Trad, if you hear this, when he was 12, he used to have to sit on a box on top of the chair at the shows to tie. That's how small he was. <laughs> wow. There you go. But, you know, he's been tying for quite a while. This is good. I think that, you know, I kind of getting to that point, I realize, and for me, I think not only young kids, but plenty of adults, you know, you've helped along the way. I mean, your fly tying style is, you know, I think your number one video might be the Adams. Yes. Are you still tying at the same rate and are you still doing the videos as you always were? I kind of slowed down because I have so many videos. It's hard to come up with new fly tying patterns for the videos and that's why I would tell people to go ahead and look into my playlists on my channel. You'll see the different categories, the, uh, you know, dry flies, wet flies, uh, materials, beginners, all of that. You'll see there's, there's a couple hundred in each one. So just because I slowed down in making the videos doesn't mean that you could not get any new stuff because there's probably close to a thousand videos up there. Yeah, you got a lot of content. Right. As far as the videos themselves, when you were cranking out a lot of them, how did you choose the uh, what fly you were going to tie next when you were doing them? Uh, well, I would just look through a book or maybe sometimes I would get uh, suggestions, like I say on my videos, send me any suggestions, comments, and questions like that. So I would get suggestions, some of the off-the-wall uh, patterns, that aren't popular, they're regional, or even maybe just personal to the person requesting them. You know, there's some of those that are in there, like one of them, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was basically a Griffith's gnat with one wing. You know, I, I forget what, what he called it, but that was a, uh, a request for that fly there. But uh, one of my categories is uh, Stuart flies, and they that comes from a book, that I have. And it's an old book. It's probably from the thirties or forties, but right in the forward, it says dedicated to my dad, veteran of the civil war. I thought that was pretty neat. So you know how old that book has got to be. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. So, well, I mean, we're getting the flavor of this and it sounds like, you know, with a thousand videos, that's huge. Are you still getting new comments on these videos? Do you see that? Are you still tracking that? Oh yeah. I get new comments just before, uh, our call here, I just went, I had about 10 new comments and they weren't all on new videos. They were actually, most of them were on the older videos, you know, from the playlists. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah, because you have, and again, we talked about the atoms, but you got a lot of the beginner stuff that has been, you know, I'm sure helpful to thousands. Is there any way to to track that to know how many people you potentially, you know, have have impact? I guess you have video. You can look at how many people played your videos. Right. What do you get now? You have like fifty, what, forty, fifty thousand subscribers? Uh, it's probably it's almost forty thousand. Yeah, which is a huge as far as flight tying. You know, that's a huge number. So yeah, I'm just kind of getting a feel for your channel. Maybe before we jump into some tips and tricks, which I want to do here, you can just take us to, you know, your channel itself. Like if you had to describe it to somebody who's listening now, who's never watched any of your videos, you know, how, how would you describe it to them? I would describe it as if you want to learn how to fly fish and or tie flies, it is a, a good educational tool to get into fly tying or fly fishing. Yeah. So it's more of a intro, uh, you know, you're not doing like advanced fly tying or fishing. Is it more kind of, would you say beginner, like step-by-step intro? No, it, there is advanced stuff on there. I have one video that's uh, casting, fly casting. It's more advanced there, but it's very educational. That's the biggest part. So it covers everything. Right. It's not just beginner, but if somebody wanted... I mean, some of the flies you tie obviously have more advanced steps. Right. When you started in 2010, who else did you see like the other channels out there? Who was out there that were the other big channels that you might know of now? Or were there many? Well, Dave McPhail, of course. Uh, Tim Flagler. Oh, Tim was out there then in 2010. Uh, I'm pretty sure Tim was out there at that time. Oh, that's cool. Uh, there was a kid from uh, Norway, Dave Oh, I can't remember his last name, mm-hmm. but he stopped. What happened was he was a kid. And then when he hit the age of driving and uh, his interest in girls became more to him, he actually sold all his stuff and quit making videos. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you ever in your time have a time where you took a break from fly fishing or fly tying for any reason? Well, I was in the Navy. Oh, so you didn't tie when you were in the Navy? No. And that was, you know three years and then i was in the reserve so yeah okay yeah so that whole time you took a break right yeah but that was before you started your youtube channel well well before yep well well before (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's been 40 years since i was in the navy gotcha and your plan to now with the channel are, are you still can we expect some new videos popping up out there oh yeah like right now i'm doing a series on uh charlie mech I don't know if you if you've known him. No, he's a writer, and he was a Pennsylvania man. How do you spell his last name? M E C K. Okay, Mech. Yeah. And I first met him in 1992, and he wanted to because his books are about Pennsylvania. Well, the title of his book is Pennsylvania Trout Streams in Their Hatches, and he was revising his his book by that title. And I fished with him and he put me in the book and he, he was a really, really nice guy. I learned a bit from him. And, uh, well, after that, that was 92. And since then I've been in four or five of his books. Oh, wow. I'll put links in the show notes to the book you noted uh, from Charlie and, and any other ones there we have. Um, is he still around? No, he passed away maybe about five years ago now. You know, he was older when I met him. I'm 58 now. He was probably around the age I am now when I met him. Oh, wow. 
You're a youngin. You're yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you you got plenty of years of tying ahead of you. Right. Well, I mean, when I met him, it was only like like I said, it was 1992, and uh, he wanted to uh, you know he heard about my river, the Lackawanna River, and uh, he did a TV show with our local TV station. They have like an outdoor half hour every week type thing. And he did that. And I called the station and they gave me his information and I called him and he was, we set up a date and he said there were going to be another guy or two more guys on that date that were going to be fishing with us. Well, when that date came, the river was like at flood stage. I was the only one that called him and told him, don't bother coming because you won't be able to fish. And, uh, he said, oh, you're the only one that called me. So we we arranged another date, and it was just me and him at that point. Right. And then he came by whenever he came through this area, because he lived in State College, and I live north of Scranton. So anytime he came through the area, he would stop, and we'd go fishing. That's how I became good friends with him. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars, made by a small team of passionate outdoor enthusiasts. The Range team only uses the highest quality gluten-free ingredients, and they know they want to fuel your body with the right stuff. We did a recent episode where we talked about backpacking and packing your pack and getting ready for a, might be a hike into a high mountain lake, and we talked about the power of food and getting the right food in your pack and how important that is to shaving off a weight and this bar packs a punch with 700 calories. This is a super dense bar, tastes good, and uh, and it's exactly what uh, we were talking about in that episode. So uh, you can pretty much throw one bar in there if you had to. To be honest, this thing would probably make you through a couple of meals. I eat these things whenever I need to, and usually one chunk of this, one bite, will keep me going for quite a while. So it's quite a bit different now that I've been snacking on these for a while definitely than pretty much all the other meal bars because of the caloric intake. And this is important when you're out there for safety or on the water or just staying uh, from, from that, keeping that uh, stomach from growling. Like I said, range bar is small enough to fit in your hand and slides easily to into your pocket of your vest or sling pack, anything you need. They currently have two flavors. Uh, one is chocolate coffee and the other is molasses ginger sea salt. You can check out range right now at wetflyswing.com range. R-A-N-G-E, Range Meal Bars. You won't go back to the normal bar. Okay, back to the show. PA is definitely, you know, obviously a famous place, lots of people in that area. Did you, uh, have you connected with some other uh, big people along the way, you know, in your in your journey? Uh, I guess, let's see, uh, we got Charlie. I never fished with Joe Humphreys, uh, but. Well, there you go. You still have time. He's still going strong out there, right? Right. Have you ever tried to look up Joe? I mean, he seems like a, obviously, I'm sure he's a busy guy like everybody, but is that something that if you connected with him, it'd be a, a good day on the river? No, oh, I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would because he's, you know, he's one of the grandfathers in Pennsylvania, if not throughout the country, you know, but he, he's getting up there in age. So it's a little harder. My, my stream itself, you definitely need a waiting stick. And then if you put 80 years old on top of that, then you're, you're doing more. I don't want to use the word babysitting, but you're doing more watching. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and is he 80 or is he 90 something? Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's over 80. Yeah, no, I think he's uh, I'm trying to think, but the funny thing was, is we just had Joe Jackson on a while back and uh, well, and he told the story about Joe 
they were at a Project Healing Waters event right. on the river and the guys weren't catching any fish. And Joe went out there, Humphreys, and was like, hey, let me show you how to do it. And he had his Crocs on, some lined Crocs. He literally got out there in his blue jeans in ice cold water right. and showed the guys how to catch fish, <laughs> you know, at his older age. So I think he could probably handle, you know what I mean? He's one of those guys that he's probably going to be strong until he, until he leaves us. He seems like that's the type of guy he is. But I hear you. Yeah, waiting is not easy. Right. My fishing partners tend to be older guys more than the younger generation, you know, guys that are 50, 60 or 70s rather than 20s and 30s. So, you know, I'm kind of used to fishing with the older guys and but getting back to other famous guys, I uh I never fished with him, but I sure spent a lot of hours at talking to him at the fly shows and that is Jack Gartside. He's a big influence on on my uh, the flies I tie. I have one of my playlists is Guardside Flies. Tell me on Jack uh, on that one is Jack around? No, Jack passed away. He had lung cancer. You know, for this, it sounds like, and I don't know about all the people, but obviously you're 58, which isn't really you know that old. You know, uh, <laughs> not much older than me, but. Uh, you know, I mean, how does that feel when you have all these metrics? It seems like you're the younger one, right? For And I ask that just because I know people, you know, like myself, I haven't had a lot of people pass away, oh. you know, that I've known. But what does that take us there a little bit? I mean, do you know what I mean? Is that, I mean, Dave Whitlock, one of the biggest names ever just passed away, right? Yeah, that was on Thanksgiving. How do you handle that? Well, my faith in Jesus is is how I handle that. And when they pass away, you know, I just... And you can't pray because once somebody is, has already died, there's nothing you could pray for them for. But, you know, you have to make that decision while you're alive between you and Jesus, you know? Right. That's a powerful question. I, I, I'd have to ask myself that question. You know, I mean, I actually think about that quite a bit because we're here for such a short time, right? Yeah. We should all ask ourselves that question. Why are we here? Sounds like a big part of why you're here is the education thing, like teaching people. That's always been a big thing. It sounds like for you, has that kind of always been your whole life? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm not a teacher or anything, but I'm a teacher of, of fishing, <laughs> fly fishing. You are. I think you're an equivalent. You're not a school teacher, but I mean, you're essentially doing the same thing. Right. I always like teaching. I like Nowadays, I get more joy out of seeing someone else catch their first 20-inch brown trout or, you know, that's a lot of fun. When I guide them to it, I show them the, the rise. Even sometimes what happens is, like my friend Chris, when I first fished with him, the very first time, I, I was pointing out, and there's a fish rising, there's a fish rising, and he couldn't see it, couldn't see it, couldn't see it. I said, you see that twig that's hanging off the bank there? Cast your fly next to that. And then three feet down, you're going to see the fish. He cast it, you know, three feet down, the fish comes up and takes his fly. He's like, how did you see that? <laughs> so things like that, you know, in the education part, that's the fun part of it, you know? Yeah. I'd like to dig in, you know, a little bit just into some of your, your videos and maybe some tips, right? Give somebody a, kind of a list of tips. So let's think of the person here and we'll cue this up for maybe somebody who's kind of new to fly tying. And if somebody's thinking about getting started, let's take us there to the steps. So, or some tips, like what do you tell somebody, you know, they're coming in and they're new to it. What are the big things they need to know getting started? Well, first thing is you want to purchase the best material that you can afford. First of all, from there, you want to watch your proportions. Proportions is the biggest 
drawback that I see in in new fly tires. You'll see, especially hackle, because hackle is expensive, and I've done it when I first started, and you want to try to use every inch of uh, material that you buy. So you end up with hackle that's, you know, 10 times too long, or it's soft, stuff like that. So, you know, I have a good video. It is in the materials playlist on my YouTube channel. It's called Selecting Quality Hackle. Mm. That shows you what you're looking for when you're buying hackles. And I show you the dry fly quality hackle versus a soft hackle. And I describe what you need on a feather to become a dry fly quality hackle. And, uh, you know, that's one of the proportions. And then wings, uh, a lot of times you'll get the wings are too big. They're twice the size of the, of the hook length, stuff like that. So that goes into the proportions part there. And if you look through my, my playlist, material playlist, I have other ones. I have making sense of hooks. And that video is all must-add hooks. But with the price of hooks these days, I kind of try to go for uh, the least expensive and still top quality. Gotcha. Unfortunately, I don't use must-add hooks very often anymore because they're just too expensive. You know, and all, all hooks are expensive. So hackle and hooks are really a, a big price. So what the beginner can do to offset those prices is use materials that they can find that they don't have to pay for. You know, like, for instance, uh, wire ribbing. Mm-hmm. And every electronic uh, device has a little wire motor in there. So if you find broken, say, for instance, a battery-operated clock, broken one, there's free wire inside that. Hmm. So some of your flies have uh, wire from the clocks. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have more wire than I can possibly use in my lifetime on my desk here because little motors, I mean, you know, little motors from everything, like different colors and stuff like that. Dumpster diving is not a is not a bad thing. You've done some dumpster diving? <laughs> Yeah. Jack Gartside dumpster dive all his life. Really? Yeah. Like what is dumpster diving? Like, what does that really be? Like literally going to a, uh, like a tech store? Yeah. Anywhere. What's the craziest place you've gone dumpster diving? Well, probably I got, uh, I lived in, uh, Pottstown and Goody Broad is a thread company and, uh, I got thread from their dumpster. I actually got 1500 yards of backing from their dumpster. I still have it because, you know, you put backing on your reel. It's not like you have to change your backing. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've done a lot of tricks. I mean, Jack's one. Is he the guy that kind of uh, gave you that idea? Oh yeah, yeah. He said, "Don't be afraid to." When we say dumpster diving, it doesn't necessarily mean actual dumpster diving all the time. Yeah, you're not digging through like food waste and stuff to get to some whatever. Yeah, exactly. A good example. Actually, I have a video on that in my materials. I have two of them. One is introduction to tools and materials. That's a long one. That's like 30 minutes. I have another one that's only like 16 minute video and it's beginner materials. And I explain all of these things, uh, how to get them and where to get them and stuff like that. Oh, cool. But like foam, one of the most famous flies out there is a Gartside gurgle bug. And I've seen... A lot of variations on that, too, using foam 
for, you know, in the, like Jack was the originator, the guard side gurgler. And uh, I've seen like the Moorish mouse has foam over it. And that's just a different way of tying his gurgle bug. Hmm. Gotcha. And Jack actually did dumpster dive for that foam. He did. Yeah. He actually did dumpster dive for that foam. He told me that. <laughs> that's awesome. That makes the fly, gives the fly so much more character when it's been, Oh yeah. you know, you know, that thing's been dumpster. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. It reminds me too, you know, talking to my dad, you know, I mean, he definitely had all sorts of little tips about how to tie flies without tools, how to do things, right. How to save you know, a little money on saving money. Right. Because that is a challenge. I mean, stuff gets expensive. It sounds like that's in your catalog at all these, and I'm looking at one of them, you've got like 260 videos in your beginner tying right. playlist, but sounds like you have some more videos here on tips on saving money on all this process. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, when the beginner tire, what I tell people I've taught personally, when you're beginning fly tying, when I'm walking around, doesn't matter where I am. I, I look at materials and say, what can I make out of that? And a good example is I'm sure everyone has used Zelon, mm-hmm. you know, and well, read the back of the Zelon package and right there in John's uh, own handwriting, cursive handwriting, it says right on the back there that he said he was going with a friend to go bird hunting and he broke his shoelace and he looked at the material on the inside of the shoelace and said, hey, I can make flies out of that. And that's how we got Zelon. Perfect. And that's one thing that I use a lot of. I, I'll take a boot lace you know, the different colored boot lace and I unbraid it and there's Zelon material or material. I use it for shucks. You could use it for wings, bodies, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's right. What about, I'm looking through your, some of your flight tying, like your beginner tutorial Are any of those flies, are they using anything that would be kind of on the similar line? I would say probably 80% of my, of my flies, I use something that are similar (laughs) <laughs> oh Roy. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you want me to I can pick one out from your list here or maybe you can just give us a few examples, other examples. I'm you got so many. It's Well, my one fly is a cripple emerger and the backside what what the cripple emerger is is it's half nymph and half dry fly, you know, the fly is is coming out of the shuck and that boot lace is the tail and part of the body and then I tie the the dry fly on the rest rest of the hook you know it's a sulfur cripply merger would be one of the videos to look for okay that's one of the good ones right that's a really good fly too you know you could tie that into whatever hatch you're you're fishing yeah a cripple or an emerger is probably one of the trout's favorite meals they can't get away gotcha and here's one i just saw so that's a good one i also put a link to this one the fly tying materials homemade bobbin talk about that what's the homemade bobbin well, the bobbin holder. Oh, yeah, yeah. The bobbin is the spool that thread is on. But yeah, I can't take credit as Mayan. I actually saw a YouTube video. It was a Japanese guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. I just basically copied his, but a lot of my tools are homemade in that sense also. Oh, they are. What's another homemade tool you have other than the bobbin? Well, you could say like bobbin threaders. Oh, yeah. What do you use for that? There's several different things you could use for that. One good thing is there's a, a dental floss. It's like a plastic. It's a, and it's a big loop type dental floss. It's blue. 
and it's kind of like a big loop. So you would just fold it and stick it down your tube and it has a little bit of a handle on it. And, uh, you know, you would just fold it and stick it down the tube and there you go. You got your loop, put the thread through and pull it back and that's through. Gotcha. Then other things like that you don't have to necessarily get from a fly shop. Fly shops earn their money because they don't do a lot of volume. But and just looking at my desk here, I have a Maybelline eyebrow eyelash brush. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing right there. Another one is a flea and tick comb for, you know, combing your dog. And that one has metal teeth. Hmm. Another one, my dubbing teaser is actually a 22 caliber bore brush that I put into a half hitch tool. Okay. Your bodkin has a needle on one side and a half hitch tool on the other side, which is a half hitch tool is just the hole in the uh, tool. So I put the 22 bore brush in there and I cemented it in, JB welded it in. Uh huh. And then another one here, we, what I call my poke and snip, it is a cuticle trimmer, hmm. you know, for cleaning your cuticles off your fingernails. And that's a really good one because that cuticle trimmer or my poke and snip will only cut what you want cut where say you wrapped a dry fly hackle and now you want to trim off the excess you uh use that cuticle trimmer and you're only going to cut the stem of that hackle instead of sticking scissors in there and possibly cutting more than you want you know that's a real good one gotcha and when it gets dull i just take a piece of sandpaper fold it over and and sharpen it with a piece of sandpaper and that was like a dollar fifty in the dollar store there you go. We'll put a link, obviously, out to some of these videos we've talked about. You've got a bunch of tips, and I like that. So, I mean, really, it gives us an idea that, like you said, one of the biggest tips is probably while you're sitting there at your desk or walking around or in a store, take a look at some stuff, right? I mean, and just seeing, well, what could that be? Right. What can I make out of that? You know, before there was 3D eyes for your flies, Yeah. what I got was craft store little doll eyes. The little googly doll eyes, you know, you get them from a craft store, you know, you get a hundred, 200 for just a couple of dollars, probably $5 or less might be more than five bucks now, but you know. Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.Fish, who was founded with the idea of finding ethical solutions to fly tying products and services. They've done just that by creating jobs for marginalized people, both in the U.S. and abroad. They've got uh, everything covered. We've had a recent episode on with uh, John Grosta, who talked about uh, some of the great products they have with the, the fishing he does in Florida uh, with the Fairflies brushes. They've got the 5D brushes and their uh, fly fur, which is pretty amazing. Tons of people are loving this stuff for its durability and the speed that allows you to tie flies. John talked about that on the podcast uh, and he said that just uh, basically it's going to add on at least 15 to 20 minutes to uh, each fly you tie if you're not using these brushes. Zag also has uh, Wasatch custom angling tools in their satchel with over 50 uh, custom heirloom tools that go along with your materials. So they are a true do-it-yourself company and you got to check out zag.fish right now. If you want to, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash zag and you can get 20% off your first order by clicking through that link and uh, let them know you heard uh, of them through this podcast and you'll get that 20% discount right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash Zag, Z-A-G. Okay, back to the show. 
How did you originally learn to tie flies? Did you have any help along the way? I mean, you've taught so many people with your YouTube videos. How did you do it? Well, the way I did it was trial and error. I never had anybody looking back to when, you know, when I was 12 and I was trying to get people to uh, teach me fly fishing. I never found anybody that could teach me or that was willing to teach me. So it was basically learn on your own. And, you know, I would give videos and Paul Jorgensen's videos were a great help. You know, before YouTube, before it was so easy on YouTube, you used to have to go and use a book or get a video. And Paul Jorgensen's videos were a big help. He had CDs or DVDs, something like that? This was before CDs and DVDs. (laughs) Oh, just VHS, yeah. Yeah. You know, you could pause it and then do what they're doing, you know? Right. And then with fishing, one of the best I recommend it to people is Gary Borger's video was Fly Fishing Made Easy. Mm. That's fantastic. It was a 3M product. Yeah, 3M, that's right. Scientific Angler 3M. Yep. And Gary Borger, that was a fantastic one. And there was another one called Anatomy of a Trout Stream by Rick Hayfley. Oh, yeah. That's another fantastic one. Yeah. You can learn a lot from those two guys right there. Yeah, you're right. Those are two great. I'll put links out. We've had uh, Gary on in episode 45, and Rick's been on a couple of times. He's, uh, well, he was on 37 and uh, and talked about saying, yeah, a lot of this stuff. So this is great. You're getting some uh, some good resources, some good reminders of people that are that are also big influencers. When you look at, you know, where you're headed now, you know, you've done so much, all these videos, thousands of videos, you know, if you look the next 10 years, are you going to, you know, keep uh, plugging away and and getting new videos? Are you going to keep doing more fly tying stuff? What's that look like? Yeah, I'm sure I'll keep doing the the fly tying things, uh, videos. Like I was saying before, the Charlie Mex book, in the back of his book, he gives you all of these fly patterns. And that's the series I've been working on now. Mm. And the patterns, okay, so it's Pennsylvania, but it's, I would say it's the whole East Coast, you know, the same hatches are going to come off in Virginia as they do in Pennsylvania just earlier. Yeah. But he also gives uh, the patterns kind of go by the beginning of the year, Mm. you know, so the earliest ones are a little blue quill and a little blueing olive. And then he gives you, you know, the, the recipe for that and then the nymph and then the spinner and then the next one and on and on all the way through the years. Gotcha. I'm looking at it now. The deer hair, uh, caddis, yeah, the blue dun, the spinner, uh, the BWO, the the blue quill. So in your area, you may have mentioned it, but what is your home water kind of that you fish over there? Oh, the Lackawanna. So these patterns that mech that you're doing, these would work, fits that river pretty well? Oh, they would definitely work there. You know, I grew up two blocks from that river. And as soon as I was old enough to uh, get away from my mother without getting in trouble, I would grab my fishing pole and run down the river. And that was when I was nine, 10 years old. So I've been fishing that river now for 48 years. Wow. It's such a good river. I've never had to go anywhere else. Really? So what, what's that river like, like you're saying? It's so good being that there's just big fish, lots of fish sort of thing. Yeah, there's big fish, lots of fish. And uh, it's just been such a blessing to me throughout my life, you know, being so close. You know, I've had people say, oh, have you ever gone to Spring Creek or Latour or Pine Creek? And I do go once in a while. I will take the adventure. Yeah. But 
I always come back to Mayan because I know it so well and the quality of the fish. The really nice thing is, like, I could be at the West Branch of the Delaware in 40 minutes. Hmm. And it's big and there's big quality, you know, that West Branch of the Delaware, that's a famous and rightfully so river. But my river is one third the size of the Delaware and it has the same quality, size and numbers of fish that they have up there. Is there a local fly shop near your river there, the Lackawanna? There's one, it's called ANG Outfitters. Okay. So they cover that area. And uh, is there anybody, is that a river people are actually guiding? Oh, yeah. Uh, A&G guides. And you can always call me. Oh, right. So you're out there. You've got that service as well, if somebody want to connect with you. Right. I am a instructor. I'm not a guide. I am an instructor. So if we went on stream, I'm more towards the teaching. But it doesn't mean that you can't be a good fisherman and still learn something. Yeah, I've heard that before. How does that work, like the instructor versus the guide? What is the difference? It seems like if you're a guide, you're also an instructor. And if you're an instructor, you know, I mean, it seems like there's overlap. Yeah, there definitely is. And if you have a good guide, he should be an instructor. Mm. You know, I mean, I've heard stories. There was one guy, and this was many years ago, and he said that he took a lot of guides in his life, and a lot of them would just take them to the thing and say, okay, you fish this hole. I'm going to go fish that other one. Mm. And then they would disappear. Right. Just getting them to the location. Yeah. Just getting them to the river or whatever. A good guide is going to be there alongside you. He's not going to be fishing unless you absolutely insist, or he needs to show you a technique, you know, a casting technique or a drift technique or something like that. So that's instructing. Yep. So a good guide is going to be there, be there with you. He's not going to disappear or things like that. Yeah. Is that something on the guiding that you thought about kind of getting into more and getting, I'm not sure if it's like a guide's license or just going through that process. What kept you from going down that route? Right. Well, Pennsylvania has a guide license. And uh, when I started guiding, uh, there was none. I contacted the fish the fish commission, they said, if you have a license and the person that you're fishing with has a license, you're a guide. Mm, there you go. You know, a fishing license. And then one of our governors decided that he wants to make a little bit more money. So he's going <laughs> to, yeah. I mean, you know. Make it a guide, right? So now there's a fee. And actually with a guide, you also have to do pay for insurance, right? So there's more than just the guide fees. Right. Well, it depends. Uh, if you have a boat, you definitely need insurance. Yeah. If you're just wade fishing, as long as you sign a paper that says, I'm not responsible for you being a goof. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not responsible if you get hurt on wading, you know? Yeah, okay. So if somebody wanted to fish the Lackawanna, they could connect with you and we'll leave some leaks there and they could just come up and it wouldn't be an, a guide trip, but they can get an instruction on some tips basically on, uh, you know, fishing. Well, that's what it'd be, right? Some tips on fishing, but not necessarily guiding. Right. And I like to go down that route only, you know, mainly because I have a little experience, you know, again, my dad, he was a guide for years and I know some of the challenges, right? right? There's always challenges in that. And part of it is just, yeah, I mean, things aren't cheap, especially these days, right? As costs and yeah. inflation and all that stuff, yeah. it's not easy. And that's why I think it's cool to hear, you know, today's conversation because you took us to not only beginner tips, but also money saving tips. And I think, you know, I hope if, you know, somebody gets out of this is like, okay, be thinking a little bit differently because probably like you're saying, a lot of these flies people have invented over the years 
came from materials that weren't bought off the shelf. Exactly. That's something that I emphasize too, is, you know, if Theodore Gordon had the materials we had, he would be using them. Yeah. Because basically, you know, throughout the ages, it was whatever you found in your wife's sewing kit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or whatever, or the carpet fly, right? I mean, some of that stuff, there's all these little, uh, right. what is it, the Antron, or not the Antron, but some of the materials, you know, we had one that was the carpet fly. It was like shag carpet, like green shag carpet we used to cut out. Right. Well, Antron dubbing, to me, I, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but Antron dubbing, all that is is carpet scraps. Yeah, so I think that is that. That was the Antron. Yeah, so that's what we used for the Antron. We used our carpet, our shag carpet back in the day. Right. Antron dubbing. I mean, everything in fly tying has, besides your natural materials, furs and feathers, everything else that we use these days is a byproduct of something else. Exactly. Right. Or it was created and or it was created from nothing. Right. And it wasn't created for fly tying. You know, that inquisitive mind of the fly tire said, hey, I can make something out of that. A lot of materials, I think, all they did was go into the factory and sweep the floor, and here's their material. <laughs> That's perfect. What about on the fly fishing? You know, if you get into that, do you have any, like, money-saving tips on just kind of the more of the fishing side of it or the gearing of that stuff? With the fishing, the one way that I save money is I build my own fly rods. Oh, you build your own rods? Yes. Wow. So literally, I mean, you get the, you buy a blank somewhere and just build, build the whole rod. Right. I get my blanks from Hook and Hackle. It's hookhack.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, I build the whole rod. You know, you could shop around and find blanks for a Winston or a whatever, you know, a Sage, a Winston, and you're still going to save a lot of money by making your own. You know, the blank might end up costing you $300, but after you're done, you have, you know, seven, $800 rod. Building rods is easier than tying flies. That's how easy it is. Right, right. For some, well, probably for many, but yeah, I think uh, for me, tying, it depends on the fly because for me, and you've tied really nice dry flies, I still struggle with my, you know, whatever, cat skill style or any of the really nice dry flies, you know what I mean? Is that, so I think those are tough for me, but if I was tying a wet fly, you know, I think that would be pretty easy to tie. Right. But I mean, as easy as it is, building a rod is still easier. <laughs> If you could uh, take a pencil long ways and turn it between both your thumbs and forefingers, you could build a rod. Yeah, gotcha. Because when you're building a rod, you know, when you're putting the, the thread on the rod, basically what you're doing is to start it, you're wrapping the thread over itself and then continuing with it. And then when you get to the end, pull it through, you pull the thread back under the threads, you pull the tag in back under. So, I mean, it's, it's really easy. It is easy. I agree. I think the part that's not easy is getting the like super um, fine tuned, like example, we had like oyster bamboo on a while back and they do these really high end, you know, uh, the bamboo rods. Right. And they're, right. it's just a whole nother level. Like I could never do, I could build a rod for sure. Something that would fish, but my guide, my wraps and everything would not look as clean as some of these other pros. Right. Right. Well, you just take your time and watch it really close that so that you don't get spaces or overlap. Yeah, exactly. Did you also teach yourself the rod building? Uh, yes and no. The first rod that I, that I made and I still use it, a friend of my brother's or a friend of mine 
he wrote down, this was back in the 90s, and uh, actually the, early, the late 80s, but he wrote down and he gave me a, you know, a computer printed page, Rod Building 101, step by step. And I followed that. And uh, that's how I <laughs> learned how to make them. There you go. This is cool. It's very simple. Yeah. Well, as we uh, kind of take it out of here, I just had a question, you know, and this I've been thinking about a little bit because you've got all these people, you know, that are following you, 40,000, whatever on YouTube. Have you ever tried? It sounds like you maybe tried to monetize things a little bit. I did and I do. Oh, you do? I do. I monetize every video. So on YouTube, for somebody who's new to it, if they are coming into it, do you control that? Can you actually make your videos if you didn't want to put any ads on there? Can you let YouTube know like, hey, I don't want ads? Oh, yeah. By not monetizing. You can. Okay. My good friend and brother from another mother, Chris, it was him and I that started making the videos, but uh, he has his channel. And I don't think I've ever seen a video on or a, an ad on his because he doesn't monetize. Yeah. So there you go. So there are, I didn't know about that. I was wondering about that, but that's been one way on YouTube. You've been able to uh, monetize that through the views. Right. And uh, on that monetize 2010, I started making them. I think it was like June, 2010, May or June, when I started making the videos and putting them up, it took me a whole year before I actually got a payment because it goes by how many hits you get, you know, how many views you get. Right. So it took me a whole year. Which doesn't sound that bad. I mean, if you think of it from a business perspective, you know, I think you could plan on, you know, a year is early. I mean, I think you maybe wait, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> a few years before yeah. your business is actually going strong, right? And so right. I mean, at least that's how it was, you know, I mean, for me. and Before you're seeing a profit, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, because you got to build that audience. I mean, that's part of it. That's a big thing. You can't just go from square one with no audience. Right. With YouTube, they don't send you any money unless you have $100 in their bank. They will send you less than $100. Yeah. So how's it changed now? And we don't have to get into the money, whatever, but in 2011, your first payment until now, have you seen a, a constant increase or is it, you know what I mean, as you've added more videos? It definitely depends on how many videos you make. Like for instance, uh, October, I didn't make as many videos and I didn't hit that $100 mark. You know? Yep. Gotcha. We're not making a living off, off of those videos by far, you know, especially in a specific niche like uh, fly fishing or fly tying. If you do one of those crazy videos of whatever, jumping off a roof or something, and it goes viral and you get a million hits in a day, then you're going to get something. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just part of, yeah, you can't, you know what I mean? Like, unless you go, you know, all in, it's... Yeah, business is not easy, obviously. You got to diversify. Right. But I mean, you put it this way, uh, I'll get anywhere from two to 3,000 views a day, and I'm making three, $4 <laughs> per day off them. Out of those views. Yeah. Right, right. So it takes a lot of views to get paid or to make anything. So 2,000. So if you were getting... If you're getting 200,000, you might be making 300 bucks a day. If you're getting 2 million, then you might be making 3,000 a day or something like that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Well, that, thanks for taking us down that route. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that listen that, you know, they have are thinking about maybe doing something. And I think this just provides a little insight of, of really the take home message of anything is that it takes, you know, a lot of work to actually monetize something and do it well. Yeah. Uh, cool. 
All right, Jim. Well, uh, anything else? I mean, I know we uh, skimmed some of the surface here, but I think we got a few tips. Anything else you want to provide there on uh, before we head out of here on just what you have going or what's coming up in the future for you? Well, I just plan on continue uh, making my videos and, you know, trying to be as helpful as I can to anybody. And, you know, I try to answer all questions that come up. So continue on that route. Nice. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody enjoys them. I'm, I'm sure they do. Yeah, no, I think they do. I mean, I know I, like I said, I've watched a lot of your videos and I've enjoyed, uh, you know what I mean? Like everything you've done. So, so we will send everybody out to, um, uh, Jim Mishura on uh, Facebook is probably the best place, right? To connect with you. Yes. Yes. Or of course YouTube, right? They could always go in and watch it. And what is your channel called? Is it just Jim Mishura on YouTube? Is that what they'd search? If you search, you can search my name, Jim Mishura or the Flyman Jim. The Flyman Jim. Okay, I like that. All right, we'll put those in the show notes for people to click directly through and watch some of your stuff. And we'll put a bunch of videos in the show notes as well of your stuff so people can get a little intro on what we talked about today. Right. All right, Jim, well, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you and definitely send some people your way, especially if they're getting into, you know, some intro stuff. I know it's a good resource. So I uh, appreciate all your time today and looking forward to uh, keeping in touch. Okay, thank you. So there you go. Wetflyswing.com slash 394. 394, as always, we'll get you some show notes, some links, and a bunch of little details there that takes this a little bit further. Want to give a quick listener shout out, but before I do, I just want to give you a tip on the trip we were on here at Steelhead Alley. The airline lost my bag, so that was kind of a, a troublesome thing. I eventually got it back, but it was a little late for the trip. So just a reminder, if you're traveling, uh, make sure to keep all that very important stuff on with you. Take it on the plane. Don't check it. So fly rods, reels, all the stuff. Imagine if they, uh, if you didn't get your bag and you're going to that destination, could you still do the trip with what you have? So a good reminder there and good tip. I also want to give a listener shout out to uh, Boris. Boris from the Steelhead School. Uh, I can't say enough about uh, Boris. He was there actually just for the first day and uh, he had an issue, I guess a day or so, he had a little health issue and he came in that morning, let me know he had to leave. And uh, it was a big bummer uh, because we had a great crew. Um, but the good thing is, is that Boris said that trip, just that day or so he was there was one of the best trips ever. And I definitely will see you again in person. Um, the crew was amazing. Jeff Liske was amazing. Uh, the food the guides we had for everybody. So if you are interested in steelhead fishing, the steelhead school is the place if you want to get some fish, uh, get lots of fish, gets lots of action on the swing. Uh, the steelhead school is, is where it needs to be. So you can check that out anytime. You can send me a message and just uh, say, hey Dave, I'm interested for this next year. Uh, we've already got slots uh, filled up, but there's always going to be a little bit extra room as we go through and, uh, and maybe make this thing a little bit larger uh, this coming year. So I'm excited to see you on the water. If you are wanting to get into steelhead fishing and actually get some hookups on the fly and, uh, and test the short spay game, we did some work there where we were fishing some 11 and a half foot rods with the Skagit short lines uh, from SA and just kind of that short compact game. There's also opportunities to go longer and use the bigger stuff but I was really excited about fishing the short game. So if you want to up that game, and even if you're a guide, uh, this is Jeff Liske. So obviously we're talking uh, 
top line stuff here. So um, we actually had a guide on that trip who learned a ton uh, from Jeff and the crew. And it was just an all around awesome time hanging out in the evenings, talking about flies, fishing. And, uh, and again, Boris, I'm going to swing it back to you and just give you a big hug there, man. I'm glad you're doing good, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, I'm going to get out of here. I hope that you can connect with me on the water sometime, and, uh, and I hope that if you can't, you can connect with me on social media. Give us a Instagram story. Give us a story there, and we'll give you a shout-out on this podcast. All right, I hope you're having a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are in the world, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.